you grab a Bible, you're still in here, and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Good morning, Mosaic. Oh, that was half of you. Good morning, Mosaic. Trust and pray you're well and looking forward to the holiday season of Thanksgiving. That's right, I said Thanksgiving. We celebrate one at a time. We celebrate one holiday at a time. And, uh, you know, it was like middle of uh, getting ready for for trick-or-treating and Halloween, and they got Christmas up already. It's crazy. But let's just uh, celebrate one at a time. When you hear the word courage, what comes to mind for you? When you hear the word courage, what comes to mind for you? Somebody, help me out. Let's make it interactive. What was that? Bravery, okay. Uh, What comes to mind? Courage. The cowardly lion, like he lacked courage. Courage, right? What else? What was that? Patriotism. There we go. I like that. How about this? When you think about the word courage, who comes to mind? Anybody? Soldiers? David? Somebody else? Who? William Wallace, right? There we go. This is a very dude answer. All right, anybody else? Courage, who comes to mind? Well, maybe when you hear that word, Rambo comes to mind, or James Reese, you know, these are modern renditions of the same character, or uh, David and David and Goliath. Well, we come to one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. Probably the most famous in the book of Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. Now, when you come to a story like this, we have to be careful because often we read things into the story that aren't there, and uh, we've added things to the story that aren't there, and um, we fail to see it in light of what is really being communicated. And if we're not careful, what we can do is what Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan, encourages us not to do from the fiery furnace is to uh, wrongly apply the text and say that if you will have faith, then God will always shut the mouths of the lions. And sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you can be burned alive in the furnace because of your faith. Sometimes you can be eaten up by lions because of your faith. And so this isn't a, a game of If I do this, then God will do this. So we have to be careful with a text like this this morning. But I think what we'll see in this text this morning is that courage, courage shows up. And specifically, our big idea for today is this. The courage to live as saints comes from a secure identity. Everybody say secure identity. It comes from a secure identity rooted in God. Everybody say rooted in God exercised through prayer. Everybody say prayer. So courage to live as saints comes through or from a secure identity rooted in God, exercised through prayer. You see, I want us to see how courage and identity are linked together and how it shows up in the life of Daniel that he is a person of prayer. His life is marked by prayer. And so can your life. Your life can be marked by prayer 
as well. I want us to see that courage is not something that's conjured up in the moment. Courage is developed through a lifetime of small, consistent decisions. Courage is developed through small, consistent decisions. It's, courage is like the autocomplete function in Google. Anybody like use Google on a daily basis? Yeah? Um, on a daily basis. And what's interesting about Google is it learns what you're doing. It learns your searches almost in a really eerie, scary kind of way. But what it will do, it, was, it will autocomplete, not only based upon your searches, but millions of other people's choices around that same topic. It will autocomplete. Google knows that we follow patterns, and so it autofills our search bar. It's, it's like your text. I hate the autocorrect feature, Right? Anybody ever send a text and you're like, oh, didn't mean to say that. Autocomplete. Well, the same thing is true, the autofill, the autocomplete, in how we respond to adversity. You see, your heart autofills your response based upon the patterns that you've established. When you experience adversity, whether it's in your job or in your marriage or in your relationships, How you respond is not so much what's happening in the moment, it's what your heart is oriented to. Your heart will autofill what it's oriented to. So when courage is needed in your life, what is the thing that is programmed into your heart that autofills your response? What's that thing for you? The Greek philosopher Aristotle who lived not long after Daniel, said this, excellence is not an act, it's a habit. Excellence is not an act, it's a habit. And I would say the same thing is true about courage. Courage is not an act, it's a habit. Developed over years and years and years of repeated patterns. And this is what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 6. Because Daniel is about 85 years of age at this point. And his response, under the face of great adversity, including a death sentence, in a lion's den. Like, let that sink in for just a moment. I know this is a story we've all heard, but I want you to think for just a moment, like this is not death by firing squad. This is not a hanging, a public hanging. This is not even a crucifixion. This is thrown into a pit with lions. And there's actually something significant here. We don't have time to unpack all of this, but I'd encourage you to check out John Lennox's book on the book of Daniel. He has a whole chapter about the significance of lions in this culture. And actually, there's something very significant of why this is being used in the history and the timeline here to show that God is more powerful than what is seen to be the most powerful force. You should go check it out. It's amazing chapter in his book on the book of Daniel. Let's read Daniel chapter 6, and I want us to see the significance of what it looks like to live a life of courage that comes from a secure identity rooted in God, exercised through prayer. Daniel chapter 6. 
It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. To whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. In other words, these guys are responsible for taking care of the kingdom and managing its resources. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps brought, sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So we need to stop for just a second and understand that there's actually something significant that has taken place. And that significance is that there's been a shift in power and kingdom. Remember, Daniel chapter 5, the end of it, Belshazzar dies and the Medes and the Persians take over. And that seems like something that's very arbitrary, but it's not because these two kingdoms are actually led by two different means. So the kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom up to this point has been led by an absolute monarchy. In other words, the king could do whatever he want. He could make any decrees, any laws that he wanted. We saw this in relation to him saying, you have to come down and worship me and fall, and do whatever I ask you to do, and build this crazy statue, and build this furnace, and throw people in it. All these crazy things. No one could argue with the king at that time because he was an absolute monarch. Even though there might have been people under Belshazzar that thought, you know, this is probably a bad idea to get all of the gold and all the cups and all the things from the temple and get drunk in them. That's probably a really bad idea, but we cannot say anything to the king because he'll have us killed. So that was an absolute monarchy. But under the Medes and the Persians, there's known as what is called the law of the Medes and Persians, and it's a constitutional monarchy. In other words, there were checks and balances in place for this particular king, and he could not do whatever he wanted. In fact, they had laws written specifically so that he could not do whatever he wanted. And so, this is where we find ourselves in the text. These men who are trying to trip Daniel up are actually operating inside the way the system was designed to work. They were looking for laws. Verse number 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius! Live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the documentation and the injunction. So these are the men who, they come to him and give him this idea. This is not his idea. 
This is their idea. So they are functioning within their constitutional monarchy. And they bring a law to him. And that law sounds good to him. Doesn't that law sound good to you? In your own flesh? Okay, sure. People have to worship me. And bow down to me and pray to me. And do whatever I want them to do. Sure. That sounds like a great law. I didn't come up with it. Remember, law and Persian, Medes and Persians doesn't let me do that. So let me let, me let you do that. And I will participate by signing the law. He, he doesn't ask any questions. Why are you doing this? What was the purpose of this? How about we enter into debate about whether or not this is a good law or a bad law? He, it simply appeals to his flesh. And he signs it. Look at verse number 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... So he's around, right? It's, it's not like he's not around while the, the conversation about this is going on. He is, he's in charge. He's a part of the three people who are in charge. In fact, he's about to be set over the entire group of people and be solely responsible for these people and what the king has them to do and what he wants to do in managing the kingdom. And so he, he knows this. He's probably hanging around while they're debating and trying to figure out ways to get him to sign this. And finally, the king signs this. And what does Daniel do? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, one who, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or an ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. He's locked in. He can't do anything about it. In this moment, I think he realizes, man, my pride and my arrogance and my selfish desires have blinded me. And I'm going to have to throw this person that I trust to the lions. Verse 16, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, Deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, 
that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So, before we dive into this text, we need to understand a couple back things. One was the law and the Medes and Persians, but also in our study of Daniel, we need to remember that the first few chapters, actually the first six chapters, are written in Aramaic. This is the last one. The rest are going to be written in Hebrew because they are a message to God's people. Babylon has been overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel is well over 80. And a law has been passed for him to not be able to do what he has always done, which is talk to God. This is a moment where courage is needed. Courage to follow through with the habit of his life. Because that's the definition of true courage. Not when something is not on the line, but when everything is on the line. And we see his response in verse number 10. It's his habit. Look at verse 10 again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. That's the key phrase. As he had done previously. Now the question might be, why towards Jerusalem? And it's because his face was always set towards the city of God. Dan, would you go grab me a little thing of water? Thank you. His face is set towards Jerusalem because that is where his identity lay. His identity was oriented towards God. And so three times a day, he reminds himself that his identity is not in his present situation or in his position, but in his God. And so he reminds himself three times a day and he orients his heart and he orients his life towards God, whose builder and maker is God. He orients himself towards Jerusalem. This is something that was his habit. He had done this three times a day, now for 70 years. This was his custom. Uh, He had done it in Daniel chapter 1 when they tried to force him to eat forbidden foods. He fasted and he prayed. He had done it in chapter 2 when the king threatened to kill all the wise men because no one could interpret the dream. He goes and he prays and God gives him the interpretation to the dream. In Daniel chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar tried to force them to bow down to the golden image, they pray to the God of heaven that He will deliver them. And God shows up in the fiery furnace with them. Whenever Daniel had been in trouble, whenever he felt threatened, he turned to God in prayer. The question for us this morning is when the pressure is on, where do we turn? What is the thing that auto-completes 
our trouble? Is it prayer? Is it God? What is your instinct when trouble shows up? Well, what do you do when you've been hurt in your marriage? What do you do when your kids won't listen? What do you do when your boss demotes you? Uh, What do you do when that person, that friend of yours, is not treating you the way that you would like? What do you do when you're facing your lion's den? I want us to see that this chapter is much more than just the famous story in the Bible. This chapter is much more than just one of the top ten most memorable stories. That there's more going on here than just that. That Daniel 6 shows us what it looks like to have a life of courage that flows from a secure identity. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we build a life that looks like Daniel's that says that this is the pattern of our life? How do we go from 15 to 85 and live faithfully in the culture that we live in? Well, number one, we have to embrace prayer over panic. Prayer over panic. I don't know about you, but when trouble comes, an initial response that I can have is panic. What are we going to do? How can we figure this out? How can we work around this? I love this chapter because rather than panicking, rather than immediately going to, what are we going to do? How could we have this law overturned? How could we position ourselves to not be under this particular persecution? He prays. This is the autofill feature coming back in the moment of stress. He prays. He autofills this simple phrase of, My God will hear me, and my God will answer me. This is similar to the life of Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus, in his most distressful moment, knowing that he is about to go to the cross, goes to the garden and he talks to the Father. He prays. Before a serious miracle takes place, before he feeds thousands of people, before he heals people, he gets up early in the morning as was his custom, and he prays. He talks to the Father. Before being taken away and being crucified, he cries out in honesty to his Father. You see, Jesus trusted the Father with his fears. He trusted the Father with his sadness. He trusted the Father with his requests. He trusted the perfect plan of the Father for His future. He trusted Him. And rather than panicking, He prays. The question is, when trouble comes, do you choose prayer over panic? If I'm honest, 
I often panic. And panic, if we're all honest, leads to crazy places, doesn't it? When you panic, you freeze. Right? I remember when my kids were little, we all went to go snow tubing. And Tyson was a little guy at that time. He was like how old? Four. Four years of age. And we were at uh, Wintergreen. We were at Wintergreen and uh, we were going snow tubing. And we're waiting in line and he's sitting in the tube. Goofing off. Just being a four-year-old. And the next thing I know, he's worked his tube over the embankment that protected him from going down the regular ski slope. And uh, we're waiting to get on the conveyor belt to take us up to go down the snow tube. And he works his way over. And the next thing we know, the snow tube is running, I mean, it's going as fast as it can towards a double black diamond. And I froze. I froze. She's like, Jessica looks at me, she's like, why are you standing there? Why are you standing there? And then I just took off running. And uh, these two people, the snowboarder and his skier, just went down right past him and got in front of him and then tackled him and stopped him. And he was literally like, here is the drop-off for the double black diamond in a tube. And he's just like, this is awesome. When he got tackled, he's like, why did you stop me? Panic. For some of us, it causes us to freeze. For others of us, it causes us to fight. But let me give you a scenario of why this is important to understand that we return to prayer and not panic. How about when temptation comes your way? This is what Daniel's facing. The temptation to bow his knee to a king and pray to him rather than to God. He could have given in to that temptation. But rather than giving in to the temptation, he goes to God in prayer. You see, when you get scared, you often panic. And when you panic, you often cave. You often cave. And it sounds like this. Look, there's no way out. Uh, The pressure is too strong. All of my friends are doing it. I'll be an outcast if I don't. Uh, Everyone in the business does this. I'll never survive if I don't. You see, there's this law of the Medes and the Persians. You see what we do? We panic. And the result of that is we give in to the temptation. Rather than believing what God says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But we forget the back half of this verse. He says, God is faithful. What's it doing? What's Paul doing? He's saying, remember your identity. Set your face towards God like Daniel did towards Jerusalem. God is faithful. God is just. God is a good father. Listen to what else it says. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, God always provides the escape, but we won't see it if we panic. If we panic, we look inward. 
and we look at ourselves and we say, oh no, I guess I have to do what everybody else is doing. No, you don't. You can look to God in prayer. You see, you never need to panic. You can simply choose prayer and embrace prayer and it will help you exercise and muster up all the courage you need for the moment. You don't need courage for tomorrow. You need courage for the moment. And what reminds us more and more that we need the courage for the moment is we talk to God. We tell Him, I need courage for right now. I don't need it for tomorrow or the next day or the next month or the next semester or the next promotion. I need it now. And so I trust Him. I'm going to embrace prayer over panic. Number two, I want to embrace prayer over pride. The way that we step into courage and live as saints from a secure identity rooted in God and exercise through prayer is by embracing prayer over pride. You see, Daniel could have at this point in his life said, I got this. I can outsmart these people. I can outlegislate these people. I can outwrite uh, laws around these people. I can lead beyond these people. I can outmaneuver, outsmart, outinterpret. And rather than choosing pride, he chooses to pray. He's there for the debate. He's there for the, the point at which they are probably plotting against him. And he goes back to his room. And he prays. Rather than embracing pride, he embraces prayer. You know, pride is a tricky thing, isn't it? Uh, pride can look good on the surface with statements like this. I will not yield to you. I can overcome this. And we even throw a little in Jesus' name. We slap Jesus' name on our prideful responses as if that makes it holy. When really it's pride. Underneath the surface, it is not a deep dependence upon God. It's just pride. It's actually the heart of self-sufficiency. It's really more of I'm better than you. And Daniel could have chosen that. Uh, you can't beat me. I'm going to do what God wants and trust Him with the results when really you're trusting yourself. So the question is, how can we know that it's pride and not embracing prayer from a place of a secure identity? Prayerlessness. How often do you pray? That's how you know if pride is overtaking your life. The mark of your life is prayerlessness. If you look at your prayer life and it's scattered and it's not consistent, it could be because your life is marked by pride. You think you got it. You think you figured it out. J.D. Greer says this, prayerlessness is the indicator light on the dashboard of the Christian life that warns you that pride is set in. It's a warning light. You see, many people think that prayerlessness is the result of a lack of self-discipline. It sounds like this, I don't pray enough, and it's the same reason that I don't work out enough, and it's the same reason that 
um, I don't eat alfalfa sprouts and drink the water that I'm supposed to and lift all the weights that I'm supposed to, that it's a discipline issue. When really, in reality, prayerlessness is rooted in pride, we don't pray consistently because we're convinced that if we reach down deep enough, we can find the answers for our own life. It's really pride. And at the end of Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar actually gives us all a warning about pride. It says this, all those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. And that's not a scare tactic. That's just being honest. That when we embrace pride over prayer, we can look at the course of our life and our life becomes marked by prayerlessness. But when we embrace prayer, we get low. Why do you think he gets on his knees and he reaches and leans towards Jerusalem and faces towards something else? It's because he gets low so God can get large in his life. You see, some of us here today are feeling the weight of that in our parenting or in our marriage or work or finances or health. That your life is marked by pride. That you got it. That you can figure it out. And now you're feeling the weight of that. That you don't. That you can't. And the pattern of your life has not been prayer. So you feel alone. And God says, come to me. Come to me. Talk to me. I have everything that you need. Daniel understood this truth. Number three. We need to embrace prayer over striking back. So, we embrace prayer over panic, prayer over pride, and prayer over striking back. I couldn't come up with another P. Sorry. I'm not that Baptist. Daniel doesn't strike back in ways that the world would, but he responds in prayer. He could have gone political, but he responds spiritual. We need to hear this in this time that we live. Because everything in our culture is telling us that the answer is found politically. Everything in our world is telling us, play the game. Play the game. Position yourself with power and pride and influence. And it's totally opposite of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The way to being exalted is actually getting low. And so rather than striking back, Daniel responds in the one way that we all need to respond, and that is through prayer. The weird thing that happens in striking back is it's more subtle than what you think. You see, Daniel could have struck, struck back politically. So the question is, how do we often strike back rather than choosing prayer? Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like this. I'll protect myself. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back. That's striking back. Oh, Oh, you play dirty, I can play dirtier. It's this quid pro quo, if you were. It happens in our marriages if we're not careful, for those who are married. 
It, it sounds something like this. Rather than praying for our spouse, rather than grabbing her hand or his hand and praying with her, it says, you know what? You hurt me, and I'll make you miserable. And if you ever hurt me like that again, I'll hurt you equally. We don't say that out loud, but we do that by giving the cold shoulder. Oh, some people say it out loud, right? <laughs> I said it, you know. <laughs> I love the honesty. We say it like this. I'll keep you from hurting me by making it clear that if you do, I'll hurt you back. And the only way to break this is to choose prayer. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Those are the words of Jesus. You see, Daniel shows us what it looks like to respond courageously through prayer rather than responding through panic and pride or striking back. You see, ultimately... These problems aren't our problems. They're God's problems. And that's what prayer does. It takes our problems and they make them God's problems. God, these people are about to throw me in the lion's den for not worshiping them. And I choose to worship you. So God, I make this your problem. It's not my problem anymore. God, I'm going to share this problem with you. You see, Daniel shows us what it looks like to respond courageously through prayer rather than panic, pride, or striking back. You see, Daniel turns his face towards Jerusalem and he prays three times a day explicitly for the purpose to remind himself where his hope comes from. Where his help comes from. I don't know if Daniel had a copy of the Psalms but I'm sure that he was motivated by one of my favorite psalms, which is Psalm 121. I look to the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. God, You made these lions. God, You made these people. God, You put the Medes and the Persians in charge. You saw fit to have me rise in influence and in power, but God, this problem is too big for me, so God, I'm bringing it to You. I need you to help. Here's the deal. We need to see this morning that this is the way to live with courage in the days that we find ourselves in. And it's peaceful. Because you let Jesus shoulder the burden that your shoulders aren't broad enough to carry. That's why we pray. This is why Jesus instructs us in Matthew chapter 11, Verse 28 through 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody in need of some rest this morning? Anybody in need of help this morning? He says the answer for that is come to me. Anybody here tired of trying to figure out your life on your own? He tells us to come to me, come to God. And he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
You see, when you and I trust Him, He shoulders the weight of our life. And prayer is the way that we exercise this. So if you're here this morning and you've got problems in your marriage, don't panic. Don't be prideful. Don't, don't strike back. Get on your knees and pray. You're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know Him. You don't trust Him. Don't panic. Don't, don't result in pride. Don't continue holding on to your life as though you are char- in charge and captain of your ship. Don't strike back at God and say, you know what, God? You made my grandma die or whatever it is that's your hang-up. Here's the deal. God wants you to just bow your knees before Him and ask Him to be your Lord, your Savior, and your God. And He says, I will make your life a life that's free from burden where you don't have to carry it on your own. It doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean your life is going to be free of pain. It means that He gets in the yoke with you and He shoulders the burden. He shoulders the burden of your sin. He shoulders the burden of your guilt. He shoulders the burden of your shame. God's Word says this, cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. How are you sustained in the lion's den? He does the very exact same thing in the lion's den that he's done three times a day. He cried out to God. He cried out to God. How are you sustained? You cast your burden on the Lord. Why? Because he's big enough to shoulder it. How about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? If you know it, say it with me this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your paths. Do you believe that this morning? When the autofill feature is filled with something else? When identity is found in some other place? You'll never respond in courage. It'll only be panic, pride, or striking back. But if you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the Scriptures tell us He will lift you up. He will lift you up. You see, having a secure identity rooted in God, that's what turning towards Jerusalem meant. My identity is not here. It's not in Babylon. In this place that I've had to live for 70 years, my heart is oriented towards the city of God, whose builder and maker is God. So in spite of where I find myself, I can bow my knee in prayer knowing that my Father hears me. Knowing that He can give me all the courage I need to do all that He's called me to do. Let's pray. Would you stand with us this morning? As we get ready to sing, we have a moment To pray. To pray. And prayer is significant. Prayer is not just a means of transitioning so the band can come up here and play. Prayer is an opportunity to come face to face with the God who hears our prayers. Prayer is not an opportunity for us to just move to the next thing. It's 
a moment to orient our hearts towards God. So as they begin to play and we have a few moments here, I want to give you a moment to pray. Maybe you want to join hands and pray with somebody near you. Uh, Maybe you want to put your faith and trust in God and you've never done that. And this is the, the day that God is calling you to put your faith and trust. I invite you to do that just in your own words, in your seat right there. I want to encourage you to tell God that you want to begin a relationship with him. Maybe you've got trouble in your marriage or you have difficulty in your work or you just are frustrated or friendship isn't working out the way that you'd like it to or you're just weary and tired. Whatever it is, I guarantee you every single person in this room right now needs to pray. We need to pray. I need to pray. So I want to give us just a few moments. Some of us are like looking at our watch. When is he going to do announcements? This is a moment for you to talk to God. Just take just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And just tell God your situation, whatever it is. Cry out to him. Talk to him. You don't have to be quiet about it either. You can talk out loud. sing listen to the cries of the psalmist as he cries out to God in his prayer Psalm 79 help us O God of our salvation for the glory of your name deliver us atone for our sins for your name's sake why should the nation say where is your God Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you according to your great power. Preserve us. Return sevenfold into the lap of your neighbors the taunts which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to You forever. From generation to generation, we will recount Your praise. This is what it looks like to cry out to God. Over and over throughout the Psalms, sing aloud to God our strength. Lord, You are favorable. How lovely is Your dwelling place. Over and over, The psalmist cries out, God, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. 
Psalm 86, 11. Psalmist helps us to see what it looks like to just cry out to him, similar to Daniel as he orients his heart towards the God who has every answer, every solution, every resource. God, we ask that you would help us today to have courage. Courage that doesn't come from a a prideful place, but God, courage that comes from a secure identity. Exercised in prayer. God, every single one of us this week is going to have a moment, an opportunity that comes in front of us that is going to present us with the choice to panic or choose pride or to strike back. God, I pray that you would give us a heart like Daniel chooses to pray and trust that you are a good father who hears our prayers. God, we ask you for this. For the fame of Jesus and his name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you sing with us?